The PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. What if we could block a protein to stop runaway cell division? Dana-Farber Cancer Institute laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, drugs designed to treat many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Good evening and welcome to the news hour. We are following two major decisions on the final day of the Supreme Court's term. The justices struck down President Biden's plan to cancel more than $400 billion in student loan debt for millions of borrowers. The court also ruled that a Colorado website designer can refuse to create a website for a same-sex couple on First Amendment grounds. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote in the majority opinion, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. We start our coverage again tonight with NewsHour Supreme Court analyst Marsha Coyle. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Jeff. Let's start with the student loan case. Okay. The Supreme Court voting 6-3 to three along ideological lines tossed out President Biden's plan to slash the student debt of more than 40 million people on the grounds that he exceeded his power. But Justice Elena Kagan, writing for the dissenters, noted that Congress actually authorized the forgiveness plan. And she adds this, in every respect, the court today exceeds its proper limited role in our nation's governance. Break down this ruling for us. Okay, first, it was the Chief Justice who wrote the majority opinion. He looked at what authority the Secretary of Education had under the HEROES Act to waive or modify student loan provisions. Uh, he examined the meaning of waive or modified. He looked at how the department used that authority in the past, and he concluded that those words did not stretch far enough to encompass what the secretary did here, which he said was to create a whole new program, a program that was huge and that was costly. And that, he said, triggered what the court has called the major questions doctrine. If there is a federal regulation that has vast economic or political significance, then there has to be clear authorization from Congress. And he said that was not here. In the other case, the court ruled in favor of a Colorado web designer who said uh, she wanted to create wedding websites without having to provide services for same-sex couples. And this was a purely hypothetical claim. She hadn't actually, in fact, been asked to create such a website. How did the court arrive at its decision? Okay. Uh, this was really interesting. You have two very different views of what public accommodation laws, which are really anti-discrimination laws in the marketplace of public goods and services, what they do. Justice Gorsuch, who wrote the majority opinion, looked at these laws and said, at least in the web designer's case, that it was compelling her to speak against her religious beliefs and that the First Amendment free speech guarantees trump public accommodation laws. Mm. Justice Sotomayor, who wrote the dissent, said, no, 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 now wait a minute. Public accommodation laws have always been viewpoint neutral, and that's how they are operating here. They're not compelling any speech. They're, compelling, they're saying you just can't act in a certain way to discriminate against protected categories of people. And the law does say, you know, who is protected here. Uh, and so you had just really a, a, a very different view of these laws. Well, you mentioned Justice Sotomayor's dissent. I'll read part of it. She wrote this. Today, the court, for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Does this 
ruling fit at all within recent court precedent? Well, it, mostly the reliance was on older precedents, either First Amendment precedents or civil rights law precedents. Uh, but the tricky thing here is Justice Gorsuch said that this opinion applies to expressive speech, expressive conduct, like a web designer, like a, a speech writer. Um, but he really doesn't define what is expressive conduct. And that's what Justice Sotomayor said is the big hole that's been blown into public accommodation laws, that they are going to allow discrimination in many situations that in the past have not been allowed. Marsha Coyle, we are lucky to be able to draw on your vast experience and insights. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my pleasure, Jeff. Let's focus more now on the court ruling against President Biden's one-time plan to cancel up to $20,000 in federal student loan debt, a decision that affects more than 40 million borrowers. President Biden addressed the decision speaking at the White House today. Today's decision has closed one path. Now we're going to pursue another. I'm never going to stop fighting for you. We'll use every tool at our disposal to get you the student debt relief you need and reach your dreams. It's good for the economy. It's good for the country. It's going to be good for you. Danielle Douglas Gabriel covers the economics of higher education for The Washington Post, and she joins us now. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. President Biden said today he thought the court misinterpreted uh, what he was trying to do with the student debt relief, and he laid out a new path that he says will help as many Americans, but will take a little longer. What, he, what is he aiming to do? So the president initiated today what's known as the negotiated rulemaking process, whereby the education department convenes a committee of legal experts as well as higher education experts to weigh in on a draft regulation that would essentially try to achieve exactly what the president did through his executive order, but through a more uh, proven and, I guess, uh, possibly less uh, challengeable legal uh, legal route. The, the trouble is that many uh, legal experts still suspect that even if the negotiated rule goes through, is finalized, which would take months and likely not come into play till next late next year, uh, it will still likely face legal challenges. And we may be starting that process all over again of ending up with another case that heads to the Supreme Court. And is there an expected timeline for this? How, how long might this take? Well, I mean, certainly not within until probably the first quarter or so of, of uh, next year, if not longer. Typically, there is a convening of the rule of the negotiators. Uh, then they have to go through various processes of going over draft regulation from the Department of Education, putting in comments, particular changes. Then a rule is issued, which likely will happen if we're lucky, if they can get it done by November, then those public comment on that, which could take another couple of months. And then if they're able to finalize it by the spring, you could possibly see a rule by um, following July or so. But all of that is contingent upon how quickly the Department of Education can kind of bring this process together. But it's not something that could just be done with a stroke of a pen, which is what lots of um, lawmakers and activists were hoping to achieve through the executive order that was struck down by the Supreme Court today. We spoke today with people on both sides of this issue. Here's reaction first from Mike Pierce, executive director of the Student Borrower Protection Center. This is 
devastating for tens of millions of people that depended on President Biden's promise to cancel student debt. There has been a long movement to get to this point, um, recognizing that people are struggling under the weight of unaffordable debt and that government needs to do something about it. Um, I don't want to sugarcoat how meaningful this loss is for working people that have student loans that were depending on this as a way out. Uh, today's a bad day for student loan borrowers. So Danielle, what options are left for borrowers in the short term? So alongside his announcement of a new route for this policy, the president said he's also trying to give borrowers an additional reprieve as they're slated to resume their student loan payments this October. Borrowers will have a 12-month uh, grace period in, if they miss payments during that time. It won't ding their credit or, or hurt their financial standing. And certainly that would be very helpful to millions of Americans who really didn't know how to anticipate uh, the addition or re-addition of this of their student loan bills, which on average could be as much as 300, if not more, dollars a month for many families. We also spoke with Mark Goldwine. He's with the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Here's what he had to say. We need a plan to get higher education costs under control um, and improve quality. But this is simply a giveaway to college-educated Americans, mostly in the top half of the income spectrum, who already went to college and took out the loans. It's telling them, you don't have to pay back the money because you're lucky enough to be the 13% of Americans that will get a ten dollars or $20,000 check from the federal government. And he also argues that rather than addressing debt, we should focus on the cost of tuition. Is there an appetite in Congress right now to do that? There is, and you have seen legislation coming from both sides of the aisle trying to address some of the issues of affordability. There is so much partisan rancor around the issue of financial aid at this moment that it's really difficult to see a bipartisan solution moving forward, but not impossible. Uh, I think you're also seeing from the Department of Education more measures to address accountabilities, making sure that if students are going to borrow all of this money for an education, that the institutions that's providing it are held accountable for the outcomes, whether they are graduating with too much debt relative to how much they're earning, and really just starting to be more transparent about that. Is that enough to really address uh, what many families see as an exorbitant cost of college? Many would say no, um, but it's a start, and I think it's something that this administration hopes to build on. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel covers the economics of higher education for The Washington Post. Danielle, thank you for your time this evening. We appreciate it. Of course.